0: Hello? Run. you've just made a wrong turn heading south onto
1: strange highways
0: enter death's waiting room if you dare
1: And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul.
0: Hey guys, it's Terry here.
1: And I hope you guys enjoyed our uh, revisit of the Invaders. Uh, thanks again to Richard for coming back on the show. Uh, that was a wonderful talk about a wonderful episode. And it just felt like it just was nice to get, I felt like there's a little bit of unfinished business. And I'm glad that we put that to bed. That was a really, really fun talk.
0: Yeah, it was a, it was a good conversation. Uh, Richard always brings a lot of fun information to the table. And, uh, I had a blast, man. I can't wait to uh, hang out with dude at, at some point and get this COVID shit out of the way. And, you know, it's going to be a good time because I haven't met the guy. He seems like a really cool individual. Uh, would, wouldn't it
1: be weird if like you guys had like that blind date thing of like where you're in public, in person, and then it's got like weird where you're like, oh, this only worked when we talked on microphones, not not in person. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's the case. He's a great dude, I, I, and I, and I have met him, and you know, and the the ki- the chemistry there, the sexual tension's real. It'll be fine. Anyway, thank you again, Richard, <laughs> for coming on the show. Um, yeah, and uh, so here we are now. We had our detours, and we're back into it. We are now. Uh, into the second half of season five of the original season, of the twilight zone, the last 18 episodes of the original series run. I say that bittersweetly. Cause I have a feel like we're going to, I think, I think we're going to run these straight through. I think we need to, we need the, the goal is near and we need, we need to, to finish this um, for, for good and for bad. And, but it's still, it's, it's exciting. And also like, you know, a bit sad because we're coming to the end of, the original run of the series that, that we both love.
0: Yeah. Th- I hope there's a beer at the end of this race, man. Cause we're going to plow right through and I'm going to need it because <laughs> uh, I think there's going to be some, uh, some episodes that are going to push the boundaries a little bit on what we might want to talk about.
1: <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's just do it. Let's just run this down. So second half, we're going to start here with season five. Episode 19, Night Call. Uh, This was originally set to air the week um, in November. That It was hours before it was set to air the news of Kennedy's assassination happened, so the episode was pulled. Uh, So this is actually when it's airing now, uh, in in February 7th, 1964. So it was originally set in November, now it's in February. Uh, Number one song, uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand by The Beatles. Never heard of them. Uh, Just kidding. Probably we're going to... uh, The Beatles are going to be the band that's going to be with us, I think through the rest of this, cause they had um, uh, three number one hits in a row um, for N64 and they might be the band that, that, that plays us out here for the rest of the original series.
0: Yeah. I, I, I believe that they just kind of took over the world at this point, or at least the rest of the world, because they, we, America was a little late to the game. We kept on catching snippets of them here and there, but now they're in the States and they're going to, they're going to keep on rocking for the rest of the, Season five here.
1: Yeah, and that actually will tie into our day and date news here in a second. So, number one film is Doctor Strange Love. We've talked about that before. Uh, people need to watch that; it's a lot of fun. So, for this day that the, this episode aired, the Beatles arrived from England uh JFK International Airport at 1.20 in the afternoon. I like how it's like Pan American Airlines flight, 101 from London, whatever. They they, they flew over in an airplane. And they received a a large reception from a throng of screaming fans marking the first occurrence of Beatlemania in the United States. Um, and that would become an outbreak that was never quarantined and the, the Beatlemania pandemic would take over for quite a while.
0: I, yeah, they just ruled the rest of the world, like I said. And I do. I I don't know. Being that young and getting off the plane and seeing that many people just like just going nuts for you might make me second thought. Like coming out uh, into the states because they used to like the videos. Their their music videos used to make fun of it, but they were used to be get chased down by their fans. Like I don't know if I could handle that stress. I mean, like I don't know how. I don't know how they could
1: have. I mean, I don't know. Like, I remember at the beginning. What was it? The movie Help, right? That was the whole thing of them being chased. You know, it's like, like you talk about like that. That's one of the first zombie movies, right? That has to be. Um, So I, that kind of stardom and that kind of power. I mean, obviously, there we had Elvis who drew that kind of big thing, but the Beatles were like, just they they were the start of something, right? Like of that type of that kind of power. And um, I mean, other bands. I mean, obviously, there's BTS now, right? The 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 K-pop band that is like. Huge around the world. So this still happens, but this was the first. And I don't know how that doesn't affect you mentally. Like I know later on, John Lennon said we were bigger than Jesus. And I, you know what? I I believe he's still right. You know, like that's that, that kind of, I'm going to guess that doesn't like, there's probably part of you. There's, there's a bit where you're probably like, I could, I could do it whatever I want and no one's going to stop me. And that is, that is scary and also intimidating and I can't even imagine it.
0: No, and I, I, again, you know, them being as young as they were at that point too, it's just like having the whole world in your hands. Like, I, I don't know what you do. Like I, what's the, I mean, you can't even take a piss without going somewhere and like getting you know, like mobbed by people. Like
1: that's why I've made it a point to never be successful as a podcaster. Cause I didn't want that kind of pressure you know, ever. Like I just, you know, I was like, let's keep the numbers low. Don't want to Don't want to be chased down the street for saying incorrect facts into a microphone. That was always my fear. So that's why I was trying my best to just run things into a ditch. Cause I don't want to be as big as the Beatles.
0: Yeah, don't like and don't share uh, the podcast, people. Pause it here first. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen. I know, I know what I'm
1: capable of. You do not want me with that kind of popularity. No,
0: they <laughs> yeah, like, be like Thanos, like yeah, <laughs> get the gauntlet, man. Let's just, roll.
1: Yeah, give me, give me the podcast gauntlet. And you'll just see what's going to happen. No, um, so, so yeah, that's your day and date. Uh, so let's just get into this. So, so Terry, who who did what here in this episode?
0: All right, so I. I God help me if I can get this one right here. Our director on this is Jacques uh, Tournier.
1: I think, I think it's, uh, Jacques, uh, uh Tournier. uh, Tonier. Tournier.
0: Yeah, it's, okay. It's, it's yeah. Very French. Yeah. So uh, back, back into season five and I'm already screwing up names. Sorry people. Um, so, uh, he directed, uh, the original cat people. I walked with a zombie and curse of the demon, which I have not seen curse of the demon, but just from the uh, the the big the like the pictures and everything that I've seen throughout the years, and I've seen a lot of people like uh, with these low budget T-shirts with this big demon creature on it. It looks so badass, but it looks like it's also cheap as all get out. So I need to see this movie now. Yeah,
1: he actually uh, the French director. He couldn't tell by the name. He would actually it, they when he was over in the states, he'd get Americanized into Jack Turner, which is almost phonetically his name. Uh, he uh, when you mentioned cat people and the Leopard Man, um, these were lower budget films for RKO at the time because they felt like since they're like you know suspense, you know like you know the horror films or whatever, they never got the big budget. But he was really, really, really good at at um, not showing things like uh, it always be shadows or implications. Uh, I I believe there's a scene in the leopard, the leopard man where the leopard man's attacking somebody. um, But you only hear the attack through a door and you see blood coming out the bottom. Like, it's supposed to be like, it's always the, the idea that your brain fills in the picture much more than what could be shown. So he was very good at, um, like texture, uh, lighting and mood, right. Which I think that if you consider his his lineage coming into this, it makes a lot of sense why this was the episode that he did. Uh, with that being said, uh, this was his third to last directing credit. He would retire, um, shortly after here and go back, just go back to France. Um, so it's, it's interesting to me that after having a, established career making movies in the States, he would be like, I'm going to do this TV show, two other things and then I'm done. So I, it, we actually got like a legitimate, like horror director, film director to direct it up to the twilight zone. And I, and I think that, uh, people need to appreciate that.
0: Did you happen to find out why he retired? I,
1: I'm not sure. I mean, he lived like quite a long time after this, but I, I don't know. Like I just, you mm-hmm. know, I'm going to guess that maybe either, you know, you, you've done what you want to do or the projects aren't there, you know, who knows. But yeah. I mean, also working for RKO, RKO collapsed. Uh, like So who knows if, if the opportunities weren't there anymore, because the studio system was changing uh, a great deal at the time.
0: Uh, that's fair. But yeah, he, this was his only credit for the, for Twilight Zone as well. I forgot to mention, but yeah. So on to our writer, uh, world famous, Richard Matheson back. Um we have just talked to him about uh we just talked about Mr. Matheson more recently in the last episode and that uh we've talked about him at great lengths prior to this. Um if you feel inclined to uh hear any of that, go ahead and check out those episodes, especially the last one that we did with uh with Richard uh as guest. Uh we went pretty in depth about the gentleman. So um so I think we will go on to our cast then. It's uh the so Gladys Cooper. Uh she plays uh, Elda Ge- uh, Keen. Um, Elva
1: Keen. Elva Keen. It's like, why does she have all <laughs> these lampshades in her house? We won't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Why Look, is she so uh, alone? I don't know. There's questions uh, about what happened here. <laughs> I like it. That that's the story I want to see. No.
0: Yeah. Uh, um. So yeah, she did uh, two other episodes of The Twilight Zone: Nothing in the Dark and uh, Passenger Passage on the Lady Anne, which uh we covered not too long ago. A pretty interesting episode, um, but I have not seen nothing in the dark. What did you think of that one?
1: Oh, it's one of the best episodes of season three. Um, So that's the one where she's playing a shut in, Um, you know, not, not unfamiliar territory to this episode uh, where she's in the basement, like like a basement apartment of this building that's set to be condemned, uh, but she is afraid to leave because she believes that Mr. Death is out there like death is always coming for her, but death keeps showing up in different fashions. She believes, but she ends up seeing a cop uh, outside get shot and he's asking for help. So she lets him in and that's played by um, uh, Robert Redford. And it is a wonderful episode. Uh, and then Passage to Lady Anne, that was uh, where the, the young married couple goes on the ship full of old people that know that they're never coming back. So we're seeing a theme here in regards to Glass Cooper's casting in episodes in which, you know, you're dealing with uh, the end of life. And I I like her, like, go back to Passage to Lady Anne, go back to Nothing in the Dark if you guys want to hear uh, talking about her. She had a lustrous career, sounds like a wonderful lady, and her her all three of her performances are lights out. And this was a good one too.
0: Yeah, and the only uh, the only credit that I really wanted to uh, talk about here briefly is uh, she was in Rebecca, which you more recently uh, talked about in a, a small brief uh, uh, because of uh, your discussion on a different podcast uh, for Mister. Well, being, he, uh, so yeah, you know, here, Hitchcock, Mr. Hitchcock. Being, yeah, I'll give uh, you.
1: I'll give you. So you actually, yeah, it's funny that you blister. mentioned. I didn't realize that, that she was in Rebecca. I should have realized, because I'd watched Rebecca. It's from 1940. I'd watched it recently. It's one of my favorite first time watches of the year. The movie's amazing. Uh, I didn't realize that she was in that because obviously that film was from 1940. This is uh what? 60, uh, 64. Maybe yeah. I didn't put the two and two together. Uh, so yeah, I had been watching a lot of Hitchcock films because I, the reason I took the week off, I think I mentioned this at the end of the invaders episode, because I was a guest on, um, talk without rhythm with, with a friend of show El Goro. And, uh, we, we, we talked about, uh, um, vertigo at North by Northwest. And because of my, uh, my lack of inherent knowledge of Hitchcock, even though I picked some Hitchcock films, like I, it's that guy that's like, you know what, fine, you go into the restaurant and you see the, the food challenge you see was it, the great uh, 96 or whatever it was in the great outdoors that John Candy ch- chose to eat the large steak, like I can do that. And then the steak shows up, you're like, I don't know if I can eat all of this this was me calling my shot about uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Um, yeah, I, I dove deep to try to at least be on like good footing to talk about those movies. Uh, one of them was Rebecca. That's a wonderful film. But, uh, so, so Terry, I want to mention though, like, did you, did you pick up on the other Hitchcock connection, um, with our
0: cast? Uh, I guess I didn't. Yeah. Well, 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 it's
1: funny because, uh, n- uh, Nora Marlowe, who's Margaret Phillips, who is the assistant, uh, in this episode, like the, the daytime maid, uh, she is in North by Northwest, which was the second film we talked about on a uh, talk without rhythm. So, um, yeah, I, that was where I was waiting to drop the hammer of like, I just saw her in a movie, but you're right. I just saw glass Cooper in another movie. Um, yeah, all roads lead back to Hitchcock and Rebecca is an amazing film. It's a ghost story, uh, without a ghost that, that doesn't sound, that sounds like a spoiler, but it's not, it's a haunting film. Um, and, uh, yeah, I didn't realize glass Cooper was in that. I need to go back and figure out what character she was because, uh, um, that's a wonderful film. And if people have not watched it, like it's, it's, um, it's available online. Like the movie's older. Like it's what, what, um, almost, you know, it's like 80 years old, almost at this point. I can't do math. Right. Um, don't pay for it. It's online. Just watch it. It's a great film.
0: Yeah, I've never heard of the film, and per your conversation on Talk Without Rhythm, I'm actually really excited to dive into that one. I do like quite a bit of Alfred Hitchcock's uh, uh, filmography. So, uh, yeah, that's just something else to add to the the ever-growing stack of things that I need to look into. (laughs) But, um, yeah, and so, yeah, moving on, uh, we have Nora Marlowe, like you were saying. um, And she did one other episode of The Twilight Zone as well, um, so it's called Back There.
1: Yeah, which is uh, uh, the one uh, that has that wonderful haunting music that we've heard repeatedly on, uh, what was it, Death Ship? We've heard uh, that score that just really... uh, I think we also heard it on um, Probe 7 Over and Out. Like That's where that music was originally made for that episode. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah... um, She's the housekeeper North by Northwest and she, uh, she ends up pulling a gun on Carrie Cooper and it was, that was a fun scene. And it was one of those things after watching that movie and talking about another podcast and then watching this episode, I'm like, I think that's the same woman. And I, I'm like, I was right. And I was very happy. And then I realized that, um, I was going to talk a lot more about Hitchcock in this episode, Twilight Zone than I should. So everybody check out talk without rhythm. It was a fun talk, wonderful films. Um, so yeah, anyway, I'll also say that, uh, Nora Marlowe was in 27 episodes of the Waltons, which, uh, you know, created by, um, by, uh, Terry and my favorite twilight zone writer Hamner, you know, so, um, you got to fit a Hamner in there. So that's, that's what I got for her.
0: Uh, and please do not skip over the fact that she was in an episode of Hawaiian eye. So,
1: oh my yep. goodness. I, I was so distracted by North by Northwest and Hamner that I didn't even get the Hawaiian eye connection. Thank you for picking that up. I appreciate it.
0: Well, and I missed the North by Northwest. So I feel like I, I screwed up there too, but I, yeah, so it goes. Um, but next we have Martine, uh, Bartlett. Uh, she plays Miss Finch. um, I think I pronounced that correctly. I guess uh, there was one third Alfred Hitchcock uh, connection here because she was in some of the Alfred Hitchcock hour.
1: Oh, I didn't even pick up on that. So you go three for three. There you go.
0: Yep. So uh, that works
1: out perfectly. So wonderful. check out the
0: discussion yeah. with <laughs> El <laughs> Goro on talk without rhythm. So. Yeah, there you
1: go. <laughs> Uh and, and and just to go back a little further on North by Northwest, um I was telling I was telling Terry before we started recording, like that that movie's always been kind of hanging over my head, uh, because it was it the second or third episode of season one is uh, Mr. Ditton on Doomsday. And um that episode has um I just had the gentleman's name in, in my head and he uh let me I'll look it up here. Um Uh, Martin Landau is in that and he, he plays an amazing role in North by Northwest that was, uh, in the theaters at the time when that episode aired. So this has been a movie that's always kind of been hanging over me watching the twilight zone and this podcast and I had never seen. Uh, so it was a first time watch going into the, into talk without rhythm. So it was nice to also kind of strike that off the list. So, um, a lot, a lot of closing of loops here. You know, so we got, got Gladys here, Glass Cooper, third and final appearance, closing that loop. We got, uh, you know, some other Hitchcock connections here. Like it's like, we're, you know, it's just nice kind of this kind of putting things in their place. So wonderful.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and as far as cast, that was it. Uh, yeah. That's all I had. The, um, the, like, have, did you think for a moment,
1: like not to like overthink this, but this is, it's a small cast. Um,
0: but it's all women. Like, like, have we had that before? In the twi- I don't think we've had that in the Twilight Zone. Uh, not that I can recall. It, its I mean, unfortunately, I have not seen every episode, at least not uh, recently. This is the only one I can think of. Uh, if you really don't want to include the voice of the man on the phone, but who knows? I mean, it might... They don't even say the credit for that. I, I was actually kind of disappointed. I could not find who is the gentleman on the phone.
1: It was Robert McCord. That is not true. I don't, I can't verify that w- at all, but wouldn't that have been great if they was snuck Robert McCord as a voice cameo with that? It um,
0: wouldn't surprise me with all the other cameos he's done where they didn't give him credit. He actually subbed
1: in as the phone line that fell across, uh, like <laughs> there. No, um, no, I also want to mention Martin Bartlett was, uh, the mother and Sybil, which if you uh, want to watch a movie as a kid and not understand what's going on, but like be kind of broken for a while, Sybil's the one Terry, are you familiar with Sybil? Um, no, I'm not. I, uh, it is, uh, it's, yeah, I don't know. Like it was one of my mom's like favorite movies. So that didn't help me at all where she's like, we're going to watch Sybil. I'm like, great. Um, it is, what is it? Uh, not 2020. It was from, um, Nineteen seventy six. It was an American television film. Why did I to say American? It was. Uh, I think it was a two parter. It was like a like a, a mini series, right? Like a two night event that had. Um, oh, it was uh, Sally Field, um, and the whole thing was that her mother was this abusive, just a horrible person that did terrible things to her that actually caused her to have like multiple personality disorder, um, and it was kind of one of those movies that was. Uh, like a big deal of the time because people were starting to take more mental illness seriously. And I remember watching this as a kid and not quite understanding it, you know, cause you're a kid, how can you process that? And which again also feels kind of weird because it's a movie about a kid being broken and, and into separate parts, right? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I should not have watched it as a kid, but it's always kind of bothered me ever since I, I watched it.
0: Yeah, that sounds pretty messed up. They'd be watching as a child, but I've seen, you know, plenty of screwed up films. Like, I mean, like Mommy should, Dearest is. I was say, we should have like a that. double
1: feature of that Mommy Dearest and then just like afterwards, just tell each other and just cry openly. I feel like that's what we should do. Just openly weep, you know, after those films. But yeah, this would be remiss to not mention Sybil because that movie was messed up. And it was like a made-for-TV movie too, so extra bonus points if it can still affect you if it was made for broadcast
0: yeah fair enough i'll have to check that out too but um yeah so uh, i don't know if you have any other notes here or no. i mean if oh, you want well. to
1: talk for another three hours about hitchcock i can do that but we're not going to do that right now so um yeah let's just get into uh into night call um let's certainly take it away
0: miss elva keen lives alone on the outskirts of london flats a tiny rural community in maine up until now, the pattern of Miss Keene's existence has been that of lying in her bed or sitting in her wheelchair, reading books, listening to her radio, eating, napping, taking medication, and waiting for something different to happen. Miss Keene doesn't know it yet, but her period of waiting has just ended. For something different is about to happen to her, has in fact already begun to happen, via two most unaccountable telephone calls in the middle of a stormy night. Telephone calls rooted directly through the twilight zone
1: it sounds like she's under quarantine like us right just sitting around eating some medication like listening to the radio i mean it's about the same right
0: it's very close i mean it's the only thing that uh we're missing that she's got a hold of is uh, somebody to run her errands and everything so uh damn it (laughs) (laughs) where did we screw up yeah um And the medication? Where the hell? Oh, never mind. Uh I I mean, I'm
1: I'm on meds, but they're just because I'm like you know when you like once you turn forty, they give you pills for everything. So that's that's my you know. Like not, not fun pills, just keeping you alive to look pills forward
0: to yeah, just
1: keeping you alive pills. They're not even fun. It's like, Hey, did you want to keep existing? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, take these pills. I'm like, okay. Like it doesn't even, it just, it just keeps this like, you know, it keeps you in this mortal coil. It doesn't even make your brain go funny or anything, whatever.
0: Almost anyway. like a suspended animation kind of thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I'm just, I'm getting ready to go to like the next most like habitable planet. I'm about to get in suspended animation. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was talking to Terry before we recording. Like this, uh, like the plot in this is um, it's it's minor. I'm not saying it's not important, but I don't know where to go with this because it's it's a series of like, I mean, I guess we can talk about the beginning. And I also want to mention here because this episode is classed up all get out by Jacques uh, Toner because I don't know if you noticed this, Terry, while watching this. There is there is a level of sophistication in the shots in this that I don't think we've seen in a twilight zone episode in a while.
0: And that's a very fair statement. Uh, there are some, some really like suspenseful scenes that are enhanced because of the shots. And, uh, that's the kind of stuff that I, it's like kind of my bread and butter when it comes to, um, low key filming and that, and like really trying to ma- make the best out of like a, a smaller budget. And I think that was achieved, uh, really well in this. Well, this, even, uh, even the
1: visual bits of the beginning here where the whole house is cast in shadow. The first thing we see is the wheelchair. And then, then there's the other, like the other chair in the room empty. And then the camera, like, like, like pans over from that, from left to the right. We, we see the storm, we see the like light, the lightning flashing and the shadows. And then this is when we see Elva in bed, like you get so much about her with just a very simple camera movement and maybe because I'm still kind of coming down off of the Hitchcock high, a lot of this is kind of reading for me and I appreciate cause you could have easily just set this up as a single set and just kept the camera focused and done like the simple cuts. But there, there is uh, a little bit of style to this that I really think uh, elevate the story a good deal.
0: Yeah. And it made, like you said, like it, it's kind of a, a more simplified story, but those things uh, make you really a little bit more, uh, I guess clued into watching it. It, I mean, you could easily be looking at your phone, but you're going to miss a lot of the things that are happening on camera.
1: There's a lot of show. Don't tell like here that I think works very well, which also is kind of great because you're, you're dealing with a, with a landline telephone. Right. And that, and so I'm going to ask you now, um, I, you grew up with a landline, like, I mean, not just a landline, but like, we, that's what we call it now. Like we never occurred, it never occurred to me called a landline phone, but like, did you have a rotary telephone at all in your house growing up?
0: Well, we had a Garfield one. <laughs> and it never Pac-Man, worked on we Mondays. We had a Pac-Man one, it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, def- we never had a rotary one. um, I've seen them at like, you know, when I went over to my friend's houses and that, and I, I, I even know somebody that has an old, um, phone booth that's a rotary in their basement. So nice. And it still works. (laughs) I mean, we had like, we had a
1: rotary phone. Like, I mean, like it was like an updated one, not like the one you see here where it's like, you know, like with the switchboard and all that, but like, we had like a wall mounted rotary phone and it's like, you know, you had to be patient while turning the dial and like getting the number through. And then also the, the, the hand, the receiver was like six pounds. Um, it was definitely used as an object of violence between my brothers. Once having a fight, uh, you know, like it, it was, you know, it was there and you had to deal with it. It also had like the world's longest phone cord because once you got, if you got a phone call and you were talking to a girl or in my case, not a girl, but just a friend, you wanted to wander far away, you know, and not have anybody hear you. But the idea of a rotary phone it just rings, it just rings without like any, you don't know who's calling. Um, I can't remember a time where I'm comfortable with that because now with the, with my cell phone, if it's not a number I already have in my phone that I know, um, you know, it could be, it could be like, you know, the president of the earth telling me you need to get out of your house. I'm not answering that phone. Like,
0: you know, like, or, or I'm like somebody calling you about your extended warranty. So it's like yeah. both ends of the spectrum.
1: <laughs> like, it's just like, if it isn't my wife or Terry, I'm not picking up the phone. Like, it's just like, but I, but you guys are pre-programmed in, but the, the notion that you'd have a phone by the bedside that could ring all hours of the night and you don't know who's another end. I remember like those days of having a phone like that. I'm glad we're past it, but there, Yeah. Ugh.
0: It, uh, th- thank God, because I remember the days where you had to buy a separate caller ID <laughs> and then plug your phone into that and that when that thing would break Dude, it was like, it was terrifying to answer that phone because we did the same thing. We looked at the caller ID and like, nope, not happening.
1: Well, I mean, I grew up about like before caller ID and before like star 69 and all that stuff. Like it was just, you just didn't know. And, yeah. but you know, like there was not that like fear. It's like, well, we got to answer the phone. We got to make a phone call. Um, now in my professional life, if I have to make a phone call, like I need to like go stretch, like have like uh, like a sandwich. Like, think about life before I place an outbound call. Like, there's anxiety now <laughs> calling people blind. And growing up, it's just phones would ring. You have to answer them. And in this case, too, we'll get to this later. It's part of the story. Um, she had a party line. Do you know what a party line phone is? I can't explain it if you don't know what that is.
0: I, I feel like it's just for the household, but maybe I'm not not really aware no. of it.
1: So party line is, let's say that like she was the first on the line, like Elva was the first one. And let's say there was four other people that were near her. A party line telephone is they all have the same phone number, but there's like a, like a modifier that you dial and it would affect the, 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 the like the number of rings. And so you'd have to listen to determine if it was intended for your house and not the neighbor's house.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. See, I, at first, uh, when they first said the party line thing, I was thinking of those 900 numbers that they used to ever. <laughs> like, find. at the
1: party, like, <laughs> like, is it a party line? It's just like, yeah, it was just her and all the other old people just talking about cards, and now their sisters don't write them or whatever. No.
0: We're playing Canaster. <laughs> uh.
1: <laughs> no, like, uh... Uh, my, my, uh, my mother who, who grew up in California, like in the early sixties moved back to, uh, to where my family was from in West Virginia in like the sixties. And they had a party line telephone there. And then she was always k- picking up the phone on the first ring and everybody would be like, don't do it. Cause they weren't, that wasn't the right party line. <laughs> Think <laughs> That's about so that. Cool. How crazy yeah, it Makes sense though. Yeah, that's neither here nor there. But it's just like, just let's just get like this idea for this technology. It's like, it, it's like I know, I know we're getting into the weeds here, but it's like there's a lot here I want to get into. Where it's like she is just waiting by this phone that could ring all hours of the night. That might not even be for her. <laughs> you know? Like, I, I just, I, am
0: so glad we're past that now. No, well, thank God. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So like, we see Elva. She's uh, she's sleeping in her bedroom. It's a really bad storm out, and. If she gets a, a random phone call in the middle of the night, and uh, when she answers, all that she can hear is static, and of course, she keeps on asking hello, she doesn't hear anything, so uh, she puts the, uh, the receiver back down and goes back to sleep, and that's when we get Rod's intro, so it's pretty quick. It goes right into the story here with um, not much explanation, but you know, as we have heard from Rod, he unfolds it a little bit more for, for the audience.
1: Yeah. And the idea of like static on a phone call is, is creepy right in the middle of the night. That's it is creepy. Um, and then the the moment that the camera cuts over to Rod, it's like, I want to believe that he was like in the next house over calling her and just being like, not even making static noise, but like, just like inhaling cigarettes into the phone anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
0: That was my party line (laughs) (laughs) lady. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, so, but the next morning there's another wonderful crane shot like, um, that shows the house, like the storm damage, right? And then the camera moves from right to left as the car, this car's pulling up. And it's like, again, I I, I know I'm kind of maybe like focusing on the wrong parts of this episode, but there is a very cinematic quality to that that like it just felt good to see that because they could have been easily like you could have just cut to like a static shot of the outside of the house being messed up and then um, was Margaret coming in. But there's still something there that Feels like assured that the camera's telling you the story. Like, we're the witness to this, and I dig it.
0: Yeah, there's definitely some layers here that, um, you know, uh, the director is trying to build off of, and that and give us a little bit more substance for this episode. And, and we'll get a good crane shot later on, too. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. Um, but yeah, so Margaret's coming over to take care of her. It's a, it, it's her, like, I guess, live-in maid or something like that. She, it's her daytime helper. Too, like, but
1: I'm yeah. going to ask you, like, whenever you come from the grocery store, um, two things. One, do you make sure that every single item on the grocery bag is poking up out of the top of the bag? And also, do you carry
0: eggs like that? No, no, I, 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 just, I, I think that's just a thing that's made famous in so many different old school films and shows like that. They always have like the celery sticking out of the top of the bag and that, and of course we had to jam it all in one bag too.
1: I just, so. I feel like our director who was French would have been upset and been like, we could put a, a baguette in there. He's like, no, no baguettes. It's going to be eggs and it's going to, they're going to break I don't know, like it is like, I don't know, like anytime, like I, you look at eggs wrong, they're going to fall apart, but let's just stack them vertically in a bag see what happens.
0: I wonder how good of shape all that stuff got into the house then. At that point, too, because she looks like she's bear hugging it. So
1: it's true. Yeah. She's like, I got all the eggs and all like the soft fruits. I brought in this
0: bag here. It's fine. <laughs> and now it's a, now it's a bagel omelet. So let's just put it in the pan. Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, you're old. You don't have teeth. It doesn't matter. It's just a mush, right? You know, anyway. <laughs> just some soup.
0: Um, <laughs> 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 It's like a Capri Sun. She just puts the straw in it and starts
1: freaking yeah it's just it's just just eggs and such it's fine yeah anyway all
0: right but uh, yeah so anyways um uh, as she as margaret makes her way in and that um she hears that um the elva is on the phone with the telephone company she's trying to figure out who called her so late at night and that and uh, miss finch the telephone operator can't really give her any information she says you know there's there's a lot of lines that are down right now. There's a lot of work that needs to be done because of the bad storm that just happened that night prior. So she's just telling her, be patient. Uh, We'll get to the bottom of this as best as we can. But if you get these calls again, try to get more information uh, and then we'll see what we can do, which I mean, is the right way to approach this because I don't know one call at night. Maybe I would chalk it up to a wrong number. I don't know, but (laughs) Alva is hell bent on finding out who this son of a bitch is that called her at two in the morning, you know?
1: Well, cause we find out that like, you know, as we, we go through the episode that like, she doesn't have anything else going on. Like, uh, like her, her sister like communicate with her. What was it like? Um, Oh, a month ago or something previous to that. It was like longer than that. And like, it, she doesn't have anybody else other than Margaret and Margaret's there. Like, you, you can tell Margaret does care, but also Margaret's getting a paycheck. Like she, there's a lot of like, got to appease her. Like I'm here for this, but otherwise I'm done. So it's almost like, it's, it's almost this thing where Elva is, um, she's trying to create a problem. So she has something to focus on other than her doing nothing. That's the vibe I get from her.
0: And it makes sense. It's just, I don't know, like. I am trying to put this in the context of what would happen nowadays, but being this being 64 and she's an elderly lady, I can, I, I can understand that that's the vibe that you're supposed to be getting. Uh, but I think that maybe the viewer might be a little confused by that. So I guess, so with all that said, um, Elva a little later, she's knitting, uh, drinking some tea and, uh, and she gets another one of these calls, but it's just static again. And this is while Margaret is there. So she knows now, like, if somebody's calling, it's not that Elva is making making that aspect of it up. But then, again, there's still no answer. So she she tells her to, you know, just don't answer the phone or leave the phone off the hook. But Elva is not interested in that either. She'd rather have the ability to call out or if for some reason there is an emergency or Miss Finch calls back with information about that caller. She wants to be able to get that call. So again, Elba thinking on her toes, like I understand what you're saying, but we kind of still need to go through this process.
1: Yeah. And that's when we get the whole bit too about the mail. And we find out that like, you know, there's, and Elva makes the comment about like, you don't know what it's like to be alone. Right. And, um, she's, she's trying to like paint this picture of like, I, I got nothing. I got nobody, nobody cares. And there's nobody out there. And, but then again, so the one bit of difference in her life right now is this phone call that's coming in with static. So again, you can see why she's like paying attention. Even Margaret's like, Hey, you know, you know what to work if you put, if you take it off the hook, you know, like, and I remember those days too, where it's like, I don't want to be bothered. Cause that would be, that's the best way to block somebody like not social media, take your phone off the hook. I don't know if you ever to use that as a remedy to not deal with somebody. It's, it's a power move.
0: Oh, it definitely is a power move, especially if you're trying to, you know, talk to somebody about a certain problem and they're like, they're just basically ghosting you because they took the phone off the hook. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, 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 that's way more a power move than checking your phone and, and seeing all the text messages that have not been quote unquote read you know mm. like <laughs> right <laughs> cuz it takes you to call to hear the busy signal to realize it's not busy i know they are they, it's off the hook
0: yeah different time right um but yeah so like later on that night um while elva is in her room again uh she gets another call and this call now um she can tell that there is a there is somebody there because there's groaning that's happening yeah a, uh, it sounds like a male voice that just continues to just groan. And she, she she, keeps on replying with, hello, hello, who is this? Why are you calling me? What do you, what do you want? Hello. And then finally, this voice in response starts saying hello back to her. And that's all that the voice can say at this point.
1: It's she, one of the she, creepiest things I think I've seen in the Twilight Zone experience in quite a while. It's very effective.
0: Yeah. And I just like, I get this reply to that she has now with where she just drops the phone down to the floor and she can still hear the voice. And it's, it's really creepy. Um, and so it's the next day again. So I don't know how the hell she was able to sleep with that. <laughs> um, but to Elba calls the operator again and says, you know, Hey, now the voice is r- responding to me, but only saying hello what's going on? Have you looked into what the problem is here? And, you know, of course, Miss Finch uh, says, you know, no one, no one's available to look into this problem. We will call you back. You know, Maybe you should probably try to communicate a little bit more with this person so you can find out who they are, get their name or something like that. And Elba seems like she feels that she's being brushed off. And, you know, after the call, it uh, tells Margaret, like, She thinks I'm a kook, you know, like she (laughs) thinks I'm messing with her. Um, She doesn't know what I'm having to deal with right now. Basically, like she's so frustrated and she doesn't know how to, uh, I I guess, get a solution to this problem. But I mean, that's not I mean, I guess that that frustration should be a legitimate problem when you're an elderly lady and you're you're you know, you don't have anybody there. So, like, who is this dude? And. Like, how close is he? So well, that, that's all fair. That.
1: I also sympathize with Miss um, Finch that you're just working on a switchboard. And you got this person being like, I don't know. There's somebody that's like moaning on a phone call. It's like, hey, half the town's down due to a storm. We'll get to it when we get to it. I apologize for the inconvenience. Like, can I please move on to the next old woman that's going to yell at me about something? Like, I could, re- I can relate to, like, the customer service portion of this.
0: Right. And I mean, I, yeah, totally understand where she's coming from. Um, but yeah, like we get Elva, um, she leaves the phone off the hook the next day um, and continues to leave the phone off the hook. Um, but, you know, like she, she gets a, this, she has too much of the noise. Like there's that dial tone, that weird tone that a phone yeah. would make when you left it off the hook and it's plaguing her. so she tries to wrap it up in her knitting stuff and she can still continue to hear it. So she just gets frustrated and throws it back onto the, the receiver hook. Um, and that's when she pr- pretty much immediately gets a call when she puts it back on, <laughs> yeah. on, on the hook on yeah. the cradle. Um, and you know, she, she asks who it is again. And, uh, where am I? That, there's- no,
1: he. No, it's like, it says, Um, you know, like, what was it? Um, Like, you see the look on her face. There's some wonderful shadow play across her face as this going on. Um, and then with the constant dial tone, I want to point out, it's like, can, I don't understand that style of phone. Was there no way to disconnect the handset from the, anyway, whatever. Um, but she's an elderly lady. She's infirmed. Like, she may not know that, right? Um, So uh, it says, where are you? I want to talk to you is what starts like the voice starts saying. And, um, it, the voice, the entire time seems, um, stilted or, um, I don't know what's the right word I want to use. It's like it, it is not delayed. That's not the, it's like, it, it it's, it's like, it's trying to communicate whatever it's saying, but it's, it's always muddled. Like the, the, the being whoever speaking to her it's it just, it doesn't, it, it's not, oh, it's not confident, right? It just feels like it's like, um, it almost. Like it's
0: trying to learn the words almost. Yes. To, that's the word. I was
1: going to say, it sounds like someone that has like a head trauma or something. Right. But it, it's, it, it's like, it's starting to say more and it's, yeah, you're right. That's the way to put it. Like it's, it's trying, it's trying, it's trying to remember how to talk. And to me, that's more upsetting than like just a weirdo on the phone.
0: Yeah. And well, especially like asking where she is and that he wants to talk to her. Yeah. Like that's, that's freaky as all get out. So, um, she, she hangs up the phone and, but then at this point she just, uh, decides to leave it off the hook completely, which maybe that's probably the best response. If you're about to piss your bed, um, <laughs> Fair enough. I think you could probably
1: put your knitting and a, b- and a pillow over your head to block most of that dial tone out. You know, well,
0: I, I, I need to ask the question here too. Does she have two phones or does she have one really long cord <laughs> to the one phone? Cause she has a phone in her living room, but she also has a phone by her bed. Is it the same phone? Are we made to believe it's the same phone?
1: I think it's two phones, but also since she is in a wheelchair, her ability to get up and go to the living room and take that phone off the hook, I think, is in question.
0: That's a good point. All right, I didn't really think about that. Uh, I was about to say, like, if you leave it off the hook in the other room, you're not going to hear it. But that that makes a hell of a lot more sense than what I'm, you know, putting together here. But um, so yeah, the next day, uh, Elva receives a call from Miss Finch, the operator, and she says that there is no way that she could get a call because the line is down uh, in a certain area. And she's like, what do you mean the line is down? Like, how how could somebody not call through? I'm getting these calls. You got some facts wrong here. And Miss Finch says, where the line is down, there's nobody there. There's no way that somebody can call you. And where that where the line is down. She's like, where is the line? Like, where is it down? Where is this place? And she said, it's the cemetery. So, like, that's the big bump, bump, bump mo- moment of this episode. Yeah. Like, and I, I think it's I, I think it's achieved well. Um, I, I did the teleplay of this more recently. And uh, it works really well as a teleplay, too. Um, but, yeah, I was like, oh, all right, cool. This is this is cool. I, I want to hear something more. Like, where the hell is this going to go now? Like, this is Tales from the Crypt-type stuff for me. Like, that's kick-ass. Um, but instantly, um, there's this look on... Elva's face and of course margaret's like keeps on asking her what 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 did she say what's going on and then in the next scene um we see that they are arriving together in the same car at uh, a cemetery and elva already knows uh where she needs to go like she's directing margaret um i'm where to push her in the cemetery and of course the spot that she knew it was going to be, it's the, the phone line you can see is, uh, become undone from the tower or the, the pole or whatever. And it is draped over a, a, um, a tombstone. And the tombstone is of, uh, Brian, what was it? Oh, geez. Why can't I? i Brian, Brian, Brian dead guy. Brian, whatever. but it's Brian. Uh, Elver Real. Brian Douglas. Yeah, there you Brian. go. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And the, the line is sitting right on the ground. So, um, yeah. And it's like right at the top of the plot. Um, that's where it's sitting. So, uh, she says that this is the grave of her dead fiance and that he died a week prior to them getting married and that she was always like kind of a hard ass to him, always trying to make him do the things that she wanted him to do. And he was really submissive. And so he, he was going to drive and instead she implored that she would drive. And so when they were driving, uh, she caused an accident and he flew out of the car and got killed by the accident, which also rendered her, um, disabled.
1: Yeah. Which I'll be honest. I didn't pick up on that until second time through, cause I know she said it, but like the big reveal that she, you know, hit the tree and, Uh, And credit to Gladys Cooper talking about how she sent him through the windshield. He was cut to ribbons. Like, that's an upsetting statement, right? Like, it's like you, your brain puts that together um, and like just how horrific that is. And then her looking down at that, but then realizing that her life was um, like forever changed because of that moment. Not only because she lost her fiance, she lost her ability to walk. And here she is in a wheelchair looking down at this, you know, the tombstone in the grave of her uh, fiance and seeing the phone line that, that is, um, that's, that's a, that's a very upsetting moment.
0: And, you know, and I, I like that It's almost like a monologue at this point. Um, she, I, it seems that she has forgotten that Margaret's there and she, she, she's like encouraged by this. It's like, Oh, he's been trying to get a hold of me. He wants to talk to me. I won't be lonely anymore. And I'm like, dude, that's a hard diss to Margaret. Like, <laughs> this lady is taking care of you. She's playing cards with you. Like, can you not like right in front of her? Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's just like, Oh, I got my boyfriend back. I I don't need my wingman anymore. No. Um, no, that was also, I was going to point out that her, her interpretation of the events is that she's like, I won't be lonely anymore. That's a very selfish position to be in to state that. Right. Like, so you're right. Like a good call out. Like she is being selfish about this. Like, Oh, Oh, I could talk to my dead boyfriend now, which also, I don't know how long she would think that was going to last because the, the repair guys are going to be out the next day to reconnect the line, but that still gets us to the, the, that very night when we get to the end of the episode. Right. So, uh, like, yeah, that's when she, uh, w- like scoots off Margaret. She's like, no, no, no. I got to talk to my boyfriend. Go away. Mystery date and all that. Right. Um, and then, uh, uh, she like Elvis sitting in the bed with the phone and she picks it up and starts like trying to talk to him like Brian, you know, it's me, it's me. And then he was like, Oh, you told me not to talk to you anymore because I'll do everything you told me to. And then she's like, no, no, no. I didn't realize it was you. And then he, there's no other voice from the phone. And then she realizes that like, um, the thing that she did to him and like, you know, while he was alive, of browbeating him and always taking control Um, he's still bending to her will and he will not talk to her now and respect her wishes. And then she is like stuck with this phone with nobody at the other end. And she's like crying her eyes out. And then Sterling has this like wonderful dialogue of like people making their own hell. Um, it's, it's, it's a very dark and sad ending.
0: Yeah. Very heavy handed here uh, at the end. And, um, I, I do want to bring up the fact that this is a really good shot. Um, there's kind of a symbolic moment here at the beginning of the episode and the end of the episode, we pan over to her chair, which is still empty. And I just, I like how that is somewhat symbolic in the fact that it's like, you were alone at the beginning, and now you're going to comp- continue to be the alone at the end of this episode.
1: I think it's implying because one, we start with the wheelchair and the empty chair, right? The side-by-side that ends with that. I think it's kind of stating, and then you, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's implying that like, that would have been her and Brian, right? Both times. Like, like, but then at the very end, it's like, well, you're, you're still, you're still stuck in your, your wheelchair and and Brian's not there. And I think that's the symmetry of the shot because it kind of matches what happened at the beginning. Um, I think that's very important. And I think that kind of just like drives it home of what's going on. And I think it's a
0: wonderful shot. Yeah. It bookends the episode, uh, really well. And I, it just, you know, and, and honestly, I didn't even really put it together until upon the second watch and just like really analyzing every bit of this. I was like, Wow that that was a really that was a clever shot to have at the end because I think it encapsulates that um that the dread of the of our main character Elva here because the alone part is the most upsetting thing for her she has no one else
1: yeah it's just it's a it's a good small like like we we just like coming coming off of uh the the break of season five we just dealt with uh black leather jackets and how the world was going to end because of you know some alien punks on bikes or whatever right then we get a very small small personal tale that doesn't affect anybody except for one person right and this is like like i uh, one i love the scope of the twilight zone they can go worldwide and then go back to like you know a very personal story um this, this episode reaffirms why I believe season five should exist. Um, and it, it feels like, it feels like it could have felt fit right along in the first three seasons without skipping a beat. It's, it's a, it's a bummer of an episode. It tells a whole story and it ends like, like, it's nice that it doesn't have to be like this happy ending and people feel better. It's like, no, she's not a good spot. She kind of deserves it. And now we're left to wonder what's going to happen next
0: yeah, there's not a lot of fluff here and that, and that works really well for this type of episode. It's nice. It's, it's tight to what it needs to do. Um, and like I said, it's, it stays true to the teleplay. Um, I really enjoyed the teleplay and, you know, I was actually really looking forward to this, um, after doing the teleplay because I, it was the first one I've ever listened to and it was going to be right before we came back and did the night call. And I was like, wow. All right. That worked out well. So.
1: Wonderful. So, yeah. Good episode. Uh, really, really, really good episode. Um, I, I like this a lot. Uh, it is creepy. It's affecting, uh, and, and glass Cooper, like her face sells it the entire time. Um, yeah, it's a solid outing. I dug it a lot.
0: Yeah. Glad, glad this was what we came back to. Um, it was, a definitely, a, a nice, uh, jumping point back into the season five, the second half of it. So yeah, cool. I liked it as well.
1: Yeah. So do you have any other notes about the episode before I get into some trivia here?
0: No, let's go, man.
1: All right. So um, so according to this wonderful book I have here that makes me sound smart, it is uh, Twilight Zone, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic by Martin Grams Jr. Um, so Matheson was the one that um, talked to Burt Garn- Granite, who is one of the producers on season five, about hiring uh, Jacques Tourneur uh, to, do, um, to do one of Matheson's uh, Twilight Zone episodes. Because uh, Matheson was a fan of uh, cat people, so he's he's known about uh, Tonor uh, Tonior. But I apologize for messing up his his name. He liked his directing style and was like he should like I would like to have him on here. So uh, Matheson was the guiding force that got him into this. So. <clears throat> um, they said one of the reasons they didn't want to hire him, the director, was because he was a movie director and it would take him too long. Well, they hired him anyway, and this is a quote from Matheson. And Tonor was so organized, he shot the shortest Twilight Zone uh, shooting schedule ever. Uh, I think he had done it in 28 hours. The man was a master and had a great ta- great deal of taste, too. So, dude had it all planned out and was able to execute. You could tell that this was like, you you mentioned no fluff. That was his shooting schedule too. And I, I appreciate that. Like, all right, it's 25 minutes. We're in, we're out. I want the cameras here. We're going to do this and we're out. Like that is the, sh- it's, it's like when you hire a professional that knows what they're doing, you get like, this is what you get. And I dig it.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure the production crew enjoyed the hell out of that too. Like, oh, we don't have to do like three days of shooting here and change like, uh, sets all too much. Like I, am sure they love that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so uh, yeah, right. And so also uh, Matheson made a conscious decision to change the ending of the teleplay from his original short story, which has been, it's been credited as long distance call, which I think it was his preferred title or sorry, right number. Um, but long distance call was actually a title used in a season two episode. That was one of the videotaped ones that is not quite good anyway. Um, so they changed it to night call for this. Um, so here, here he is about his quote about changing the ending from his short story to this one. Uh, the idea just occurred to me that some disabled old lady was getting phone calls from a dead man. I ended the story on a very dark note where he says, I'll be right over, which leaves the reader with a feeling of what just is coming to our house but it's a flat ending. Uh, I thought the new ending I'd put in for the episode was a lot better. I thought it made much more sense because her personality was so abrasive that for it to turn out that she had caused this man to die in the first place. And now she wanted him more than ever. And he just said, you told me not to come over. I always do what you say. I thought was, that was a much stronger, um, but he's like, I thought that ending was much more stronger. It made much more of a character study. um, I, I still like his original idea for an ending though. That is messed up.
0: Dude, that sounds, that sounds more like, uh, tales like from the crypt tales, tales yeah. from the crypt or like, are you afraid of the dark kind of ending. <laughs> <So, laughs> if handled a certain way, but I mean, it sounds, it sounds great too. I mean, like that could, that could definitely exist in like an anthology film, but Submitted uh, for
1: your approval, the midnight society, the tale of the long distance call. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. It could work, but, um, uh, But the the changes that they did for it just leaves uh, a different type of audience to enjoy it. Like, I think this, this is a much more emotional ending and uh, that works for me in a, in a, in a bigger way.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like, I think, I mean, I think it works either way. Um, and giving it more of an emotional hook I'm down with too. And the fact that Matheson was the one to pull the trigger on it, I appreciate that. And it just feels like for as many times as some of his stories have been kind of twisted and like not the way he wanted them to end up. Like this feels like he's pretty satisfied with the story and also the director. So like this is, uh, yeah, this, this is a pretty good a to B. like, uh, Hey, this is the idea. Let's just finish it. Let's just do it. Good. Like it's, this was a nice, uh, reaffirmation and palate cleanser. Not that I'm saying that season five has been a rough road because there's been a lot of fun. It's just every so often, like, you know, certain episodes we can agree, follow its keys. This shows the power of the twilight zone. And, and if this one isn't in people's talks about like why they like the series, then they need to watch it. Cause I feel like a lot of season five gets dismissed.
0: And that's, that's a bummer because I have enjoyed quite a bit of the episodes for season five and, you know, and it sucks that there wasn't a season six and, you know, everybody moved on to do different things, but there is still a lot to enjoy, um, from this season, of the episode or this season, of the series. And yeah, this is definitely one of them. And I feel that there's a different tone to this in a, in, in some, in some ways. Um, and it, you know, and I'm glad because it shows different, it shows different facets of the series and how, you know, the creative minds could present different things to the audience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, all right, I think that's going to do it for our talk about the episode proper. Let's just uh, get to that twist. Um, about two thirds of the way through the episode, I remembered something in the back of my head about the telephone line being across the grave. So that didn't surprise me. The emotional turn of Gladys being the one—sorry, not Gladys, sorry, Elva—who is you know played by Gladys—that this became a bigger story because of her fiance and then her being kind of condemned for her actions. I didn't see that coming. I'll give that a four.
0: I'm going to have to coincide with your uh, rating. If the four sounds perfect for me. Um, I didn't know, like, I mean, again, you know, I listened to the teleplay, then I watched this, but even while doing the teleplay, um, I was getting really into the story and I did like, I was really surprised by the turns that it took. And, uh, yeah, I'm four is right there for me. I and should specify
1: one out of five for the twist, not the episode. The episode I think is, uh, lights out, but yeah, a four for a twist, I think is right there. I think. That's yeah, that, no, that's, yeah. that's
0: what I mean. Yeah. Like the no. twist is. Yeah. Just, just agree, so there's I, no confusion for our, our audience. Yeah. yeah I realized that, that I started
1: throwing numbers out there. I'd be like, what's the twist out of four out of 100? No, that's not what I meant. So <laughs> yeah, four out of five. I think it's a, I think it's, I think it's a solid twist.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Definitely.
1: Yeah, so um yeah, I think that's gonna do it uh for our discussion about a night call. Great episode. I dug it a lot. So uh before we talk about what we're doing next here, uh you guys can find us on Strange Highways on Facebook. Um we're always posting weird pictures there. I got some fun ones from this one. It's gonna be coming up in the next week. Uh you guys can email us directly at StrangeHighways at gmail com. Um uh, sorry, strange highways podcast gmail.com. If you email Strange Highways at Gmail, I don't know who's gonna write back to you, but maybe they'll be like, hello hello an email form that'd be creepy um but anyway so email us your thoughts uh let us know if there's anything else you want to cover in the future uh and wherever you find your podcast or interview us would be greatly appreciated and terry where else can people find us
0: uh we are on instagram so we're posting a lot of fun pics there i'm trying to sauce it up and put different things on there than our other social media um so go ahead and follow us on there uh You know, give us, like Paul said, give us some suggestions on uh, either one of our social medias about maybe something you'd want to see. Um, And please check out some of our prior episodes uh, where we go on. I think we go on a hell of a a quest to find gold in them hills when it comes to like the older episodes of the Twilight Zone um, and also other anthology series that we've we've covered. I mean, we've done Tales from the Dark Side. We've done Tales from the Crypt. uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? So uh, go back and find some of those episodes, the dark and room. maybe yeah, <laughs> the dark room. Maybe that will uh, pique your interest, and maybe have us cover something else because season five is coming to an end here soon, folks. And uh, uh, we want to do some other stuff here and there, but um, our our path from that point on is, I don't know we're, we're kind of waiting and seeing where we
1: can go. I like the, how we're pivoting into like a telethon here where it's like, you just call in and let us know what you would have happened next. Yeah. I don't know. We're, we're running out of runway here, but we got, we got, you know, still 18 more episodes to go and, um, the future's not set. Right. So let us know. Uh, we thank you guys for listening. We appreciate, uh, you know, you taking the time to hear us, uh, babble on here about stuff. And, and if you dig this, um, share it with people, let them know that there's, uh, you know, multitudes, right? Like we, like, I understand that the, the, the Jordan Peele CBS, uh, series twilight zone got canceled, but there's two seasons of episodes out there that, uh, have had been discussed. There's other things too, like, you know, the more the merrier. So please let us know, uh, join in. Um, yeah, please. I just, yeah, I just keep begging, please don't let us just be, uh, old and infirmed and in bed, hoping that you talk
0: to us later. And uh, make sure you screen your calls a little bit better than that, I (laughs) guess. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I guess we're not on the outs yet, but, uh, what are we covering next week there, Paul?
1: So next week it is, uh, the episode's called from Agnes with love Uh spoiler. There was not a Serling teaser at the end of the episode that I found proper. And I realized why is because since this one was pulled from its original air date, they didn't attach a teaser from Serling because they didn't realize that there was going to be you know, an assassination of a president, right? So there is a a teaser for this episode. Um, I'm going to read it. uh, So everybody bear with me. I am not Rod Serling, but I'm going to talk about what the the teaser is for this episode here. Bernard C. Schofield pays us his first visit on the twilight zone. Next time with his script entitled from Agnes with love, delightful and diminutive. Wally Cox lends his sizable talent, to a charming science fiction comedy called From Agnes With Love. You've heard about thinking machines. On our program next time, you'll see a machine that does considerably more than just think. Wally Cox in Agnes From Love, sorry, in From Agnes With Love on the Twilight Zone. And smoke Marlboros. I didn't. He didn't say that. But Uh,
0: I think Rod would be very proud of you,
1: man. I don't have his diction. I never do. And also, it should have been Oasis cigarettes because that's where they kept adding those in season like two or three. Where it's like, and for the nice smooth pull of an Oasis cigarette, you know. But anyway, uh, from Agnes with love. Don't smoke, people. It's what's twenty twenty one. You know, cigarettes are bad for you. Don't do it. Um, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like I I just want to believe it's just like like don't don't do don't smoke cigarettes.
0: Oh. People
1: are upset that we just like they at least stepped all over cigarettes. Anyway, um yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Hope you guys enjoyed night call. I know we did. Uh talk to you next week for uh uh from Agnes with love. Um In the meantime, um, I don't know, I'd say like, you could always like hang up your phone, but we, none of us have them anymore. So just, uh, like turn off your phone at night or just flip it over. That's, that's the 21st century solution.
0: Or, you know, don't bust the chops of the operator. If you finally get a call at your house. Hello? Is it-